The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm ready to get into the Word this morning. Now, I want to see something. You always hear me say I want to see something great, and it's true. I mean, much like we, when we bless the children or we function or operate there, there's an anticipation. None of those things are routine or just habitual. There's something specific that I want to see this morning. Now, there's some Sundays where you know that you're delivering something out of your abundance. You know, you know it's something that you carry in your life, and so you're, you're sharing it. Now, many of you have things like that. If you were dealing with the situation at work, you would know, hey, I'm well-equipped to deal with this. And then there's some times where you know, God, you're going to have to really pour that into me in order for it to pour out of me, because I think that's one of the greatest needs in my life right now. Now, I feel like that this morning concerning the word that we're going to get into. I'm so excited to get into this for the purpose of receiving from God this morning in a way that I know I desperately need. I want to get into the Word in a moment. Uh, I want to share with you a few things that we're going to find. Now, I love to talk about the the importance of note-taking. If you have the materials to take some notes, I want to encourage that. If you don't, no problem there. Just do your best to, to pay attention. But taking notes is important because God's speaking things to us. And if you get a chance to look at those things later on, oftentimes you'll find God revealing very specific things to you. Uh, when you take the time to review those things. If you are taking notes and you want to write down a few things to look forward to, here's a few things that we're going to find. What is at the heart of God's blessing? What's at the very heart of God's blessing in your life? I mean, we talk about the blessing and we, we, we minister the blessing. We, we say, God bless you every time you know, we encounter someone and we want to impart something great. The question is, what, what is that? Has that just become a word, blessing, you know? Do we pray, God bless me, and we really don't know what we're asking for? What's at the heart, what's at the foundation of God's blessing on our lives? We're going to find that out, and I think it's going to have a massive effect and a great impact on us. A second thing we're going to find is what we need to seek and receive God's help. I mean, if I were just to ask this, and I'm going to go ahead and ask it, how many of you would like to see God's help this morning? I mean, hands would go up. I want to see God's. I've got a lot of things in my life I need to see God help with. What we need to seek in order to receive God's help. A third thing that we're going to find is what to do once you are anointed. Now, the Bible is very clear for every single Christian. I mean, John writes in his letters that you have an anointing. You have an anointing. If you are born again, if you are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have an anointing. What do we do once we're anointed? We're going to find that out uh, here as we get into the Word. Now, I want to get into the Word here, and we're going to talk about something that's going to sound very familiar. We opened up with this last week, and, and for good reason, we're going to revisit it again. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Exodus, chapter 33. We're going to pull from Exodus 33 and 34. You have something incredible going on here. It's a wonderful uh, passage of Scripture. It it creates a massive uh, uh, perspective, a massively powerful perspective, excuse me, on a very important piece of history. This is a moment in time that actually occurred between Moses and God, and it changed the world forever. 
Now, if you read Exodus 33 and you read Exodus 34, you'll find the entire story. We're going to pull a few parts from it. But before we do that, I want to ask you this question. Are you ready? Are you re- How many of you feel a little sleepy this morning? It feels a little sleepy in here, doesn't it? You want to know something? I got up this morning. I took my boys out. and We, we, we went out because we needed to get some milk. They, they go through milk like nobody's. But we ought to just get a cow, right? I mean... I, they, we go through milk. I can't believe we go through so much milk. So we're going to get some milk, and they get in the truck with me, and we get down there, and I get the milk, and I set it on the counter. And the guy who's opened up the store, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, man, this guy looks awful. Right? What an ugly thing to think, right? And then here's what he said. Uh, he said, man, you look like I feel. <laughs> I thought, may the Lord bless you. But I think there's things that can happen where we just get a little worn out, a little tired, and then you can come into a place like this where you finally get to sit down, and that's what prevails. But I want to ask you to really dial in with me this morning, and don't let the comfort of your chair or the coolness of the room or anything like that be anything that would keep you from engaging. I want us to pay attention because I really believe that what we're going to pursue today is going to have an impact in every one of our lives. So I want you to commit with me. And, and let's pursue these things. In fact, I want to pray about it this morning. If you would, just for a moment, join with me. Father, we ask, will you wake us up to your word? Awaken us now. Stir in us a, a hunger and a desire that would transcend any of the week's events, the past or the ones coming on the way. But let there be a, an intentional, undivided attention given to your word this morning for the purpose of receiving from you. And we ask for an empowerment by your spirit to receive from you this morning. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. All right, I want to jump in here. Exodus chapter 33, you're going to see something specifically. If you're taking notes, you can write down verse 13. Exodus 33, verse 13. Now, we opened up with this last week. We're going to establish it again. We're talking about Moses now, the same Moses who has seen God do miraculous things, who's heard the voice of God from the burning bush, who's been sent to to Pharaoh in Egypt to liberate a people who's seen the, the, the works of God through plagues and miracles and all kinds of things. Moses has seen all of these things. And in verse 13, he says something to God as he's speaking to him. He says, let me know your ways so that I may know you. And we talked about that a little bit last week. If you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to get online and find the message and get caught up there. But what we see here is something important. It's really impossible to know God without knowing His motives, without knowing why He does the things He does. And so oftentimes we become content with seeing Him do things. Oh, we want to see God do stuff. We want to see God move. We're content with seeing the signs and seeing the wonders or hearing the stories of those things. But Moses is revealing something that ought to stir in all of us a desire to go deeper with God. Not just to see the things that he does, but ask God, help me to understand why you do this. Now, God gives Moses an answer when he makes this request. In short, he says, yeah, I'll show you my motives. He says this in verse 19. God says, I will make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I'll be gracious on the one that I'll be gracious to. And I'll have compassion on the one that I'll have compassion on. And then in verse 34, this promise comes to fulfillment. God God does what He said He would do. He reveals to Moses His motives. 
the foundations of who he is. So that Moses isn't stuck just knowing what God's capable of, but yet he knows why he does it. God reveals himself to Moses. You see that in chapter 34, verse 6. It reads like this, Then the Lord passed in front of Moses, and the proclamation was made, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Now there's more there that you can read, and I want to encourage you to read it. But last week we stopped on compassionate. We talked about compassion, the importance of compassion, the need for compassion, the truth that compassion is at the foundation of the very nature of God. Now this morning I want to move past compassion and I want to get to gracious. Because as Moses said, I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know your motives. Show me your ways in order that I might know you. When God fulfilled his promise and he shows Moses his ways, it started with compassion and it was followed by graciousness. I want us to talk about what it means to be gracious. Now I told you before there were some things that we were going to find in the scripture. The first thing we were going to find is what's at the heart of God's blessing? What's at the heart of God's blessing? I'd like for you to take this down in your notes. You can turn there in your Bibles. The book of Numbers chapter 6. The book of Numbers chapter 6, Now we can begin reading in verse 22. What you're going to find here is what's become known as Aaron's benediction. Now Aaron is the high priest. This is a benediction that is used in in Christian ceremonies and Jewish ceremonies. This is a blessing that is setting the standard by God's instruction for blessing released by the priesthood. Now as you're turning there, I want you to ponder this for a moment. God is revealing to Aaron how to bless the people of God, how to function and operate as a priest. He's revealing to him the blessing. He's giving him this as a call. I want us to pause before we go any further and acknowledge something, that any born-again believer is called to function as a priest in the kingdom of God. This blessing is not simply limited to Aaron or his sons, but this blessing is poured out upon the priesthood. Now that includes me and that includes you. That's a word we ought to use more often, actually. I I personally would love to be referred to as, as a priest and you as a priest. It's unfortunate that we associate that with things in the past, but it's a biblical word. It's actually the right word. Very unfortunate during the Reformation in order to not sound like the the Roman Catholic Church or or those that were were being uh, separated from. The word priest was, was no longer used and the word pastor was inserted. You're going to have a hard time even finding the word pastor in your Bible. It's really not in there. Though it's translated pastor, it really means shepherd. But the reality is God has called every single believer to function and operate as a priest. So this blessing is meant to be for you not only to receive, but for you to impart. Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. What's at the heart of God's blessing? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, and he told Moses, Go and speak to Aaron, the high priest, and speak to all of his sons, the priesthood, and say to them, This is how you will bless the sons of Israel. You will say to them, now here comes the blessing, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you 
and give you peace. There's the blessing. Now look at the line after the blessing and see if you can find what, what I see here. It's something that stands out and reveals this is very important for us to catch. So the priest shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and then I will bless them. Now did you hear what I heard there? I mean there's a word there that stands out. The word then, right? The priest shall invoke my name upon the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. It's a cause and effect. How can there be any blessing upon the sons of Israel if the priests don't invoke the name of God upon them? Now here we stand as a priesthood with an entire city and region of people in desperate need of the blessing of God. And there's a call and an anointing on my life and on your life to invoke the name of God, to release the blessing. So that the blessing can be poured out and magnified among the people who are in such desperate need for it. We have a call. We have an anointing. We have a purpose to do this. But I want to look at what makes the blessing work. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. I want you just to say, and be gracious to you. I want to do it again and I want you to do it again. And be gracious to you. I think we found the foundation of the blessing. And the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. I remember when God is revealing to Moses His ways, when He's revealing compassion, when He's revealing the graciousness that makes up His nature. It's very involved in the blessing here. That prayer, that that invoking the name of God, that impartation of the graciousness of God on a person's life. I want us to find out what that graciousness is, what it means, so that we can develop the habit, so that we can become empowered to invoke that graciousness, not only on our own lives, on our own families, but on everyone that we encounter, so that we can be priests. God's graciousness is important. In fact, it's the solution for our needs. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture. I mean, I could just ask a few more questions. I'm not asking for hands to go up. In fact, please, please don't raise your hands. But how many of you have prayers right now that you want God to hear? I mean, I almost raised my hand. I saw a few of you almost, ah, he said, don't do it. I won't do it. Psalm chapter 4, verse 1, or Psalm 4, rather, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O Lord, God of my righteousness. You've relieved me in my distress. Now here's the request. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. When I take that passage from the psalmist, I can understand that God hearing my prayer is founded upon His graciousness toward me. I want to just give you a little clue as to what I'm desiring to see this morning. As we pursue the graciousness of God, I'd love to see it have an impact on how we think. I'd love to see it have an impact on how we behave and how we function. But more than anything, I think it's going to have an incredible impact on how we pray. Father, be gracious to me and. Be gracious to me and. Father, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now then, here's another side of prayer. Because prayer is is meant to be a conversation. That's meant to be a a two-way communication. When we offer up our needs to God, there's meant to be a reciprocated response. 
Now here is a passage of Scripture for you concerning the graciousness of God. Psalm 27, verse 7. Hear me, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. That's, that's God, hear me when I pray. Hear me, O Lord, when I cry out with my voice. And be gracious to me and answer me. And be gracious to me and answer me. Oh, be gracious to me and hear me. Be gracious to me and answer me. We're going to start to see a pattern here that everything that God does in our lives is out of His graciousness. It means He doesn't have to. He chooses to. He's under no obligation. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. Be gracious to me. Answer me. Psalm 25, verse 16. Here's a question, right? I mean, again, don't throw up the hands here. How many in the room, or, or who in this room, would say, I feel affliction in my life? Or here's a really one. This one is really awful. How many of you feel lonely? I mean, loneliness is destructive. In fact, if you want to see how destructive loneliness is, you can see it at the cross when you see Jesus endure all kinds of torture and torment, psychological torment through the mocking, physical torment through the beatings. But it's only when He's alone. Father, why have You forsaken me? Why am I all by myself? It's only when He's alone does He cry out. Loneliness is destructive. And I personally believe it's absolute in its destructiveness. Psalm 25 verse 16 brings some hope and solution to loneliness and the affliction of it. It reads like this, turn to me and be gracious to me. Will you just say, be gracious to me? Yes, turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. Now, I don't know how your brain works, but, but I can be kind of fussy. I looked to see if my wife was going to nod. Like, amen, brother. <laughs> I can be kind of fussy. So when I read a passage like that, the word like for, sometimes even in my Bible, I'll scratch out for and I'll write in because. I mean, it's the same thing, right? I mean, I'm going to eat lunch later because I'm hungry. We don't really talk this way anymore, but you could say, I'm going to eat lunch later for I am hungry. Right? It sounds a little stiff, a little formal, right? But it's the same thing. So when you read this passage, take out the word for, throw in because. Turn to me and be gracious to me, God, because I'm lonely. Because I'm afflicted. I'm seeing throughout the Psalms, I'm seeing throughout these prayers, I'm seeing throughout all of these supplications that are offered up to God, I'm seeing that the cry is not for God to, to, to fix the need by bringing exactly the opposite, but to fix the need through bringing His graciousness. Graciousness, graciousness, graciousness. Father, let Your graciousness be my solution. And Psalm 6, verse 2, Be gracious to me, O Lord, because I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord. I see the graciousness of God at the foundation of healing being imparted to my life. I mean, I just took a few of these because I was running out of time as these things were being put on paper this morning. Throughout the prayers of the psalmist, throughout the scripture, you see the graciousness of God being the catalyst for the solution that we need in our lives. I'd like to offer another one here. We talked about healing for the body. 
Psalm 41 verse 4 speaks of healing for your soul. O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned. And when we talk about the soul, for some that becomes just kind of lost in in the vocabulary. For some it becomes mystical. The truth is we need to know about the soul. The soul is what Jesus is saving. Your spirit is born again into life, but your soul is where God is continuing to perfect you. It's in your mind. He's renewing your mind, altering the way you think, changing your convictions, making you more like Jesus every single day with every single surrender. And the psalmist is crying out here, I've sinned. I've taken a step backward in all of the work that you've done in my life. Be gracious to me and heal that. The graciousness of God is at the heart of baptism in the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is a big deal for me. I know of a longing for healing in, in, in this house, whether it's in the body or in the soul. I know of a longing to see prayers be answered. I know of a longing to hear the voice of God in response in different believers in different households. And the solution is all the graciousness of God. I know of a desire to come to know baptism in the Holy Spirit existing in believers in this house, and I want to pursue those things with them. It will involve pursuing the graciousness of God. Let me give you a passage of Scripture. Psalm 30, verse 10. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. Again, will you just say, and be gracious to me? Yes, hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. That's the passage. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. Now, I know I ask you to say a lot, but I'd like for you to engage. Would you just say, be my helper? Be my helper. What a prayer to pray. I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture. I think this is important for us to catch. Psalm 54, verse 4. Behold, God is my helper, the sustainer of my soul. Psalm 72, 12. He will deliver the needy one who cries for help, the afflicted also, the one who has no helper. We need a helper. From the very beginning, God said it's not good for man to be alone. Let's make a helper suitable for him. And then Jesus talks about our helper. I'll give you a few passages of Scripture. John 14, 16. It reads like this. Jesus says, I will go to the Father and I will ask him to send you a helper that he may be with you forever. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. And you'll see that in John 14, 26. In John 15, 26. And in John 16, 7. The Helper, the Holy Ghost. When I read the passage out of the Psalms, Psalm 30, verse 10, Hear, O Lord, be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. I hear a cry for the helper that God would send upon us. The Holy Ghost. And at the foundation of that cry is the request that God be gracious. Be gracious to me. Let your graciousness abound in me. Be released to me. So what is graciousness? I mean, we can read all of these scriptures that have that word in it, and it makes for a nice, tidy package with a thread running all through them, a theme, so to speak. But if we don't come to know what graciousness is, it's all for nothing. So I want to find out, what is gracious? What does it mean for God to be gracious? And we talked about compassion last week. Remember that? It was to be aware of someone's need and desire to meet that need. To be aware of someone's suffering and desire to fulfill that. It was made up of two parts. 
Again, if you missed that, I want you to go back and get it. Now this week, gracious, what does it mean? If you turn to the dictionary and you simply look up gracious, you're going to find this. Marked by kindness or courtesy. Marked by kindness or courtesy. I told you before, there are some things you preach and you know they're being preached out of your abundance and they spill out of you freely. Then there are other things where you're asking God, Father, you're going to have grace on me today because I need you to pour in as this pours out. I feel like kindness and courtesy can be hard to come by on some days for me. Gracious, marked by kindness and courtesy. If you want to go to the words origin, which is another way of of finding out what a word means, to go beyond the definition, but look at where the word itself comes from, you can have a deeper meaning. The word gracious comes from the word gratia, meaning favor or to favor, meaning benevolent, to favor someone, to favor something, to be benevolent. When I heard the word benevolent, now I need to go back to the dictionary because I want to understand that word. So let me give you the word benevolent in its definition. Benevolent, actions marked by or disposed to doing good. The second definition listed for benevolent is actions organized for the purpose of doing good. God's graciousness at the foundation of His nature is that all of his powers and authority are organized not to push his own agenda or to bully and push people around or to prove to everyone how strong and smart he is, but at the heart of who he is in his nature, all of his power and all of his authority is organized to do good. He's gracious. So the question that I have is, what does that look like? I mean, what does it look like in my life to walk in the graciousness of God? You can see it in the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, one of the things that we were going to find is what we needed in order to receive God's help. We know that that's the graciousness of God to lead us into help. A third thing we were going to find is what it is that God's doing in our life once we are anointed. What happens next? I want to give you a passage of Scripture that describes the life of Jesus Christ. You can write it down. I want to encourage you to turn to it if you have your Bible. The book of Acts chapter 10. Coming to a place of understanding and knowledge that the graciousness of God is the kindness and the courtesy to do good To do good in my life, in your life. To do good on the earth. To eradicate all that would bring death and disease. And to impart all that would bring life and holiness. We see a clear picture of what Jesus does when we see in Acts chapter 10 verse 38. His life and ministry is described. It's described like this. Now, you know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. So Jesus Christ is anointed. Now what? How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good. Now there's a description of what doing good looks like. 
You know how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, and then in graciousness, He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That's what doing good looks like in the kingdom of God. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. I'd like to see graciousness rise up in my life. To put a value upon kindness and courtesy. To not just simply see that good manners can take a person far, but to see that having it my nature to take on the nature of Jesus Christ, to have that be in my motives to be kind, to be gentle, to be gracious. To have at the very foundation of my actions and my words to do good and not to do harm can lead me to function and walk just like Jesus. To operate in such a way that everywhere we go, all that we do, we're liberating people from the affliction of the devil simply by living our lives with graciousness. I want to give a little graciousness test here as we close. Because there's a way to identify graciousness in our lives. And and it's not meant to be given to shame. It's meant to identify. Just to identify. So for each one of us, as we, as we review the Scripture, as we read the Scripture, as we have the Scripture read to us, this isn't meant to inspire any kind of guilt or any kind of shame. It's meant to inspire an awareness that maybe we ought to be like the psalmist and ask God to impart unto us His graciousness. Father, be gracious unto me that I might be gracious unto your people. I want you to turn to a a passage in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7. Gospel of Luke chapter 7, we will not be long here. I like to paraphrase for the purpose of just keeping things fluid. But if you're going to read, you can read it would begin around verse 36. And you see something happening here. Jesus in his ministry is, is, is growing in, in awareness and popularity. People are aware of the things that he's doing. In fact, the scripture says that that many were speaking well of Jesus because of the graciousness that fell from His lips. The words that He would speak. People were drawn to that. They they were moved by it. Graciousness drew crowds. And in this moment, His his popularity has, has won the attention of a leader. And this leader wants Jesus to come to His house. He says, hey... Please, come to my house. It would mean so much to me. I would love to have you in my home. Jesus accepts the invitation of this person. He's a religious leader in the community. And Jesus goes to eat. And it says as they sit down and they're, they're speaking and they're eating, something happens. A woman bursts in. She bursts into the room and And she throws herself down at the feet of Jesus and is so moved by the graciousness of Jesus Christ, she cannot stop weeping. Now there's been one moment in my life where I have cried like this woman's crying and I still think she would have put me to shame. 
But I remember a moment when God was touching my life, and it happened in a public meeting. I cried so much that there was a, a, a pool, uh, the carpet was wet at my feet. I don't know how long I'd stood there weeping, but I, I sat there weeping. So there's a part of me that comes into this place where I, I'm aware of, of at least a, a bit, a small measure of what this woman is encountering. An awareness of the love and the graciousness of God being completely overwhelmed by it. And as she weeps, her, her tears are wetting the feet of Jesus and she's taking her, her hair and she's drying his feet. And the word says that she's kissing his feet. She, this is the most unrestrained display of affection. And I'm sure that if you're in the room, if you happen to be invited to this dinner party, hey, Jesus is coming over, why don't you come over? I'll, I'll sit you by him. You know, you'd be sitting there and this would happen. And at first you would be like, well, that's interesting. And then later on, you'd be like, that's still going on. And then after a couple of minutes, you'd be like, okay, that's just weird now. And you'd be seeing this going on, and I'm sure there was a measure of discomfort in the room. Disturbance. And finally, enough is enough. And the host, just in his heart, begins to think this. And you'll read in the Scripture, he doesn't say it out loud. He thinks it in his heart. If this man were a prophet, if this man had any sensitivity to the Spirit of God, if this man had any connection with God, he'd know what kind of woman this was. This harlot, this immoral woman. And he's letting her come in here and have this display of affection in such a way it is absolutely despicable. Now that's what he thought in his heart. Never said it out loud, but Jesus, aware of what he was thinking in his heart, began to respond. He said, hey, I, I'd like to tell you something, a story if you would. And you have to keep in mind, all of the, the, the weeping is still going on. So the whole time he's talking, you know in the background you're hearing... <laughs> I want to tell you a story. There was a, a man, and he had two people that owed him. One of them owed him a small amount. He could have made it up in less than a couple of months. And the other one owed a great amount. I mean, it would have taken him years to recover. And then he uses the word, and I think it's important that he uses this word. He says, in, in graciousness. Did you hear that? In graciousness, the one who was owed forgave both of them. In graciousness, to do them good, he forgave both of them. He said, I want you to think for a second, which one of them should be moved with more love and affection? And the host, who was very offended by the display of the weeping and the tears, said, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. And Jesus looked at him and, and said, you've spoken wisely. Acknowledging that this woman, this individual who was, was not embarrassed to, to reveal her love and her affection, her gratitude, her, thanks, her thankfulness, her thanksgiving in front of other people, this woman who was unashamed to be grateful for the graciousness of God had been forgiven much. And that's kind of where the graciousness test comes in. 
When I begin to examine my life, when I think about all of the things that God has forgiven me of, when I think about all the things that God has liberated me from, when I think about all the bondage that no longer holds me in captivity, when I think about all the corruption that no longer torments me, when I think about all of the freedom that He's brought into my life through Jesus, I ask myself, does my life reflect it? Can anyone see the graciousness of God upon my life? That's a test. Now, I don't think we decide to behave more demonstratively just to do so. But I think there's a need for us to respond to that kind of a conviction. To return back to God in prayer and say, Father, be gracious unto me. And like the psalmist would say, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Remind me of those things that you set me free from that gratitude would once again rise out of my heart, that there wouldn't be restraint or embarrassment or diplomacy that would keep me from expressing my gratitude for all that you have done for me out of your graciousness. I don't want to fear men and their opinions. I want to give you what you deserve because you've saved me from certain death. I think that there's something in us that God is desiring to touch this morning. I know for sure, me, and I hope that it's a corporate message and not simply personal. But I believe there's a need for us to become acquainted with the graciousness of God, reacquainted with the graciousness of God. For two reasons. One, to function and operate as we should, to not become stuck in religious tradition and habit, but to break free from those things and continue to praise and to worship and celebrate with with gratitude and thanksgiving all that God is worthy to receive from us for those things to come to pass with sincerity and truth. And then also so that we can treat those around us as they need to be treated. To be able to impart graciousness where graciousness is the solution. In my life, I need my prayers heard. In my life, I need God's response. In my life, I need healing. In my life, I need the renewal of my mind. In my life, I need the Holy Ghost and His leadership. In my life, I need all of those things. And therefore, I cry out to God, be gracious unto me. But outside of my life, there's an entire community that's in desperate need of all of those things. And I ask God, be gracious to me. Be gracious to us. That your graciousness might pour out from my life onto those around me. That your graciousness would overflow from my life, through my words and through my actions. And spill out onto the hurt and the wounded around me. Let me be just like Jesus. That I would be anointed with your Holy Spirit, filled with power. And that graciousness would prevail at the very core of my being. My very nature, influencing my words and my actions. That graciousness would lead me to go about committed to seeing people liberated from the devil and his afflictions. Father, be gracious to me.
I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.